This is episode number 72 with Ryan Fuller. Ryan is currently a hitting coach in Connecticut. Um, He is giving uh, hitting lessons on a regular basis. He used to play college baseball at the University of Connecticut and then went on to sign a contract with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, He gets into what he teaches in this episode from just a mechanic standpoint, um, movement prep, you know, what he what what he likes to do from a a complete progression um, for his athletes. It is pretty pretty neat, and I uh, Ryan, somebody who I've been following on Instagram for a while at Fuller Hitting, F U L L E R Hitting. Um, he puts up some really great content and explains what he does uh, specifically in each video, which is really nice, and it's it's helped me a lot in, in working with some of my players as well. So, thank you guys. Will enjoy listening to Ryan, and without further ado, here's Ryan Fuller. We are now live with Ryan Fuller, who is a private baseball and softball coach in Connecticut. Ryan, appreciate you coming on today. Patrick, thanks for having me. I've been listening to you since the get-go, so it's good to be on with you. So can you give uh, give everyone a little bit of your background in baseball? Sure, you got it. So I grew up in Connecticut. I'm a Connecticut guy through and through. Went to junior college here, played at UConn, but from a small town, my dream was always to play Division One baseball. That was kind of not pro ball, not make it to the bigs, just play Division One baseball. I really wanted, so I went to a JC in Connecticut called UConn Every Point. Had really two years there, the national championship game my sophomore year, so that kind of opened up a lot more doors that I was hoping for at a high school. And I got the call from UConn, the flagship school in Connecticut. They said we can't give you any money, but it'd be great to have you. There's a vacancy at third base. So I took that opportunity, and little did I know, I was walking into one of the best baseball programs in New England at that time. I mean, the guys in the big leagues now, George Springer is kind of the one that everybody knows about. So that team, we made it to the Super Regionals, had a good senior year, and then I got signed by the Arizona Diamondbacks. And pro ball really wasn't as great as everybody said it really was. And I've listened to you hear about the different leagues you played into, so I'm sure you can attest to that. But after that, Got right into coaching. I spent a year at Quinnipiac University coaching the outfielders and hitters as a 23-year-old coach, so I learned a lot. But you don't make a lot of money coaching college, as everybody kind of knows now. It's not as glamorous. So I did what any naive 23-year-old would do when I became a financial advisor. Did that for a year. Absolutely hated it. And then I kind of went back to grad school, became a teacher, started doing private lessons on the side. It's kind of snowballed from there and I mean I love teaching hitting it was something that frustrated me like crazy because I would see my swing in the game what I was doing in practice and it was the complete opposite and then just kind of learning from there and really the main goal is just to help kids get good information now so you're you're a teacher now and a hitting instructor as well where like what do you teach I teach high school English so ninth, 10th and 11th grade English and I coach the baseball team at the school. So teaching and coaching, I mean, it's a perfect fit during the summer. I'm off every day. I can do lessons. I can go to the beach. So I'm kind of living the dream right now and able to do everything that I enjoy doing, which is awesome. Would you ever want to get back into uh, baseball just full time? I've thought about that. My fiance and I talk about it a lot because, I mean, I started like the Instagram social media thing after listening to like a Gary V. February. And 
from there, it kind of took off and she's like, well, you're going to have like opportunities come up. And I would love to coach the part about coaching. I like the most is developing that culture and getting kids to buy in, especially at the college level where you could pick guys recruit. But I don't think the travel of division one coaching would be something that would line up with how I kind of live the lifestyle. But I think someday it would be awesome to do kind of the division three route less time on the road kind of build a culture there too and i think it'd be pretty cool since i have math my masters to be able to teach at the school too wherever i work so i have no like end goal but just kind of having fun and i think when you're doing things that you enjoy doors kind of open along the way without you kind of going for it that's pretty interesting you brought up a uh, uh, gary v gary uh, vaynerchuk what did he <laughs> what did he strike a chord with you with what did, like what did he say that that kind of like got you going I mean, just putting things out there and being authentic, I think that's the biggest thing. And I mean, following people like you on there, all the guys on Instagram, I was always looking, I wouldn't post anything. And then I would go to my cage and it would be like terrible information, like dad's doing the whole, you know, swing down, don't let your hips fly out. And I was kind of like, man, people need to be hearing something different because I feel like we're in a bubble on social media sometimes. And I assume like, Oh, everybody knows, you know, you got to move in sequence. Everybody knows about posture. And then you go out and you see other teams or people working on their own. And it's just kind of like, yeah, things have not changed that much. And so Gary Vee, just kind of getting things out there, information, being authentic. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And it's been a pretty cool ride. Yeah, not caring what anyone else kind of thinks, just putting yourself out there. I like that. Um, so let's get in a little bit of kind of on what you teach um, about the swing. Because you see you put up a lot of... Um, a lot of really good stuff on um, um, on Instagram. You're at Fuller Hitting, F-U-L-L-E-R Hitting on Instagram. Um, what are you kind of looking to to do, not just on Instagram, but I mean like in general when you're working with a player? So, uh, I mean, I teach kids who are little league age all the way up to pro guys when they're in the offseason and elite college guys when they come back too. But I mean, just really helping them understand their own swing. When they come in, I kind of give them the spiel that kind of they look at me like I have five heads. Like, I want you to be your own coach. I'm not going to be the guy who says, like, here, do these five drills and you're automatically going to be awesome. I think that's one of the things on social media, too. All day you get kids. Hey, what's a drill for this? And it's like, yeah, I'll I'll give you a few, but it's not really going to help you across Instagram DMs, but when the kids come in, helping them understand, okay, how do you think the swing moves? Because we got to be on the same page before we even get into it. So having a conversation of where they're at. Unfortunately, we don't have a, a physical trainer or anything like that at our facility, but doing our best to see how they move. We do a lot of hip opening exercises to see if they're able to move in the way we want. But I mean, from there, my kind of keys are posture and balance and then moving in sequence. And those two are usually kind of the bedrock cornerstones. And then from there, that cleans up a lot and using, building their confidence up because, you know, we could get into coaching too a little bit. When I started, you know, it was that disciplinary and you got to do it my way versus, you know, building them up and showing them that this is going to be a process, especially if you're that kid with the, minus 20 launch angle it's going to be a process for us to get you on the right track so building up their confidence and helping them understand their swing is kind of the cornerstones of what i try and do yeah and then 
that, that's a, that's a really good point when you kind of talk about you know when you first started coaching and that kind of brings me into my next thing is you see a lot of like verbal cues um, and I know I was talking to uh, Rob Gray, he's a sports scientist out in uh, at Arizona State University, and he was kind of talking about how you kind of want to let the the athlete kind of figure out their their movement, their swing versus just kind of just nailing them always down with verbal cues left and right. And I think in like a one on one setting, um, it, you always feel like you have to say something because you know what I mean. After every pitch, every swing, like you always got to say something. Um, do you kind of follow that as well or what's your kind of style? Yeah, that podcast was awesome. And then I kind of got into his podcast too. And I mean, that's just unbelievable stuff in there. But when you start, it's like they expect me to be the expert. I have to be saying something every time I have to correct when they do this. And all that really happens is I call it the puppy dog eyes. They take a swing and then look to you kind of like, Hey, do I get a treat? You're going to say good, right? And that is the opposite of what I want. So it's really hard, though, because that's the way we were taught. And at the beginning, it's kind of like I got to show them I know what I'm talking about versus now go a whole round, keep your mouth closed. And usually the kid would be like, ah, man, you know, my lower body was way late on that one. And it's kind of like, yes, thank goodness, you know, you're self-regulating on your own. But being a high school coach, too, where you don't have that one-on-one time, it's really difficult because you're meeting some kids where they're at and other kids who have no clue what's going on, you got to meet them where they're at too. So I think the verbal cueing versus the external goals is huge. Putting a net in right center field and saying, hey, I don't care how you get it done, hit it on a line within 10 feet of that, you get a point. So I think things like that make so much sense because we're not experts in terms of figuring out the language for each individual kid rather than hey, here's a challenge, here's a task, figure out a way to get it done. And especially at the high school level in Connecticut, they have maybe 50 to 60 at-bats throughout the year. We have a week before the season starts to get them ready. There's not going to be any colossal changes that they're going to be able to go through. So it's kind of saying, hey, you're coming here with what you got. Maybe you play football eight months out of the year, figure out a way to get the job done. And usually more often than not, they do. And the simple cue that I'll use one of the rounds we do is just, hey, out of five, how many can you barrel up? And usually when that starts, they stop thinking about, you know, my hands are here, my foot's getting down at this time. And then it's just, OK, I got a crank. I knew how to do that in Little League. And it starts coming back to them. Yeah, I, uh, I coached uh, high school baseball for the first time last season. Man, I don't know about you guys, but t- like the biggest hurdles are time and space. I mean, for facilities, I mean, it is really, really hard for a high school coach to do kind of what they want to do. Honestly, you got kids kind of coming and going, playing other sports. I mean, the player development, it's it's tough, man. It's really tough. And we had horrendous weather up in Connecticut this year. It was snowing all the way through April. So every day when we had snow on our fields, we're kind of different than a lot of other programs where they're just going to let it melt. We were out there with tractors. We were out there with shovels. So an hour of our practice was just literally shoving, shoveling the field versus getting any work in. So, I mean, from that standpoint, you have to be creative and figure out other ways. So, I mean, kind of goes into teaching, too. Anytime kids are standing around, things aren't going to get done. So when we're in the gym, different stations, a curveball machine here, we're going to play wiffle ball over there, tennis balls off the wall reaction. So 
you got to be creative and figure out ways to help the kids out because it's really difficult, like you said, with the time and space. So growing up in Connecticut, were you uh, always a Red Sox fan? I was always a Red Sox fan, but now obviously playing longer. I mean, you start to become just a fan of the game, but everybody up here is either Red Sox or Yankees. We're kind of right in the middle of everybody. So a lot of the verbal cueing I will do is based off of players up here where the kids know, okay, Mookie Betts, yeah, he swings like that, kind of those visuals to get the kids thinking about. But baseball is really big in Connecticut, kind of it gets lost. But it's always kind of an undercover hotbed for players in the big leagues too. That was a, um, a really inc- – you guys had it at UConn. There was a, a few years there where there was some some serious, serious talent. I mean, I know George Springer was there. Uh, there was a couple other guys too who actually I think made it to the big leagues, right? Yeah, there's Matt Barnes, reliever on the Red Sox. Yeah, he was on that team. Scott Oberg was on – he is on the Rockies right now. Nick Ahmed, the shortstop for the Diamondbacks. And then there's, you know, LJ Mazzilli, a couple of guys knocking on the door really close. So there were 10 guys drafted from that team alone. So, I mean, it was a pretty awesome experience. And we ended up losing to South Carolina in the national champion, And they went on to win the national championship. Lost to them in the Supers. But it was – a a really cool experience and I was kind of naive going into it from junior college I would kind of keep tabs on the team and then when I got there it was like Peter Gammons all these scouts there and I was kind of like whoa what's going on here I had no idea this was going on but you could tell I mean George guys like that just incredible talents right when you saw him um what kind of stuff like I know sometimes colleges get knocked from a player development standpoint uh when you were at UConn was it that was I mean that was several years ago so I know the new like launch angle era wasn't really there but um, nowadays I don't know are you still pretty close with the coaches at, at Connecticut? Yeah, I see them. A couple of our kids have been recruited by them too, and the cage that I work out of one of the volunteer assistants, his son comes in there too. So it's been interesting to see the progression too that they've gone through in terms of you know philosophy and everything too. Are, so are they, do they have like hitting rap sodas and the hit tracks and all that stuff up there? I don't know if they have that yet. I would assume they've always been kind of on the cutting edge of technology. When I got there, it was kind of like having the machine that would throw to you the guy on the screen and everything. And we had that, but I would assume they have stuff when I was there, they were starting to do a lot of video analysis, stuff like that. But I mean, it really is incredible. When I was there, the hot kind of technology was listening to Steve Springer quality at bats on your iPod before the games. And that was kind of like, wow, you know, this is crazy versus being in the cage and just hitting off the machine and thinking you were actually getting stuff done. What do you think about um, uh, doing tea work? I love tea work. I know a lot of people are kind of, you know, against it now, but I think especially with hitters looking for different feels. I'm huge on going slow to fast. I do a lot of crazy things, keeping guys' eyes closed, and that's obviously going to be pretty tough if the ball's moving too. So just getting them to really feel how it is to move in sequence, and I think the T is a perfect one for that too. And drills, when I started, I probably had like over 100 written down, you know, go to conferences, stuff like that, the ones that I was doing as a kid. And I probably have 15 that I really believe in now that I use with the kids. And that'll be a progression. We'll start them on the tee if it's a new one, get the feel for it, go 50% and build it up. And we'll do ones where it's front toss or me maybe sitting on the bucket from 
20 feet away overhand and still incorporating those feels. So I think from a progression standpoint, the tees are a really good place to get those feels for the kids before moving to the next step. Yeah, and I know I, I do agree. A lot of a lot of people have been kind of uh, bashing T work a little bit lately, which I get. I, I really think though that uh, in season, especially because in season, so much about feeling good, and like that's not really the time to necessarily uh, you throw a bunch of tough stuff at them because you know, especially as you know, in the summer you play every day, you got a game every day, so T's are definitely good. Good then. Um, do you guys do any like movement prep, like PVC pipe work and stuff like that? And what are you trying to do with that? Yep. So in my individual lessons, we'll do kind of a whole warm up series, rotational work with the med balls. We do the Edo Portal hip opening exercises, a lot of PVC pipe. I love the one that you put up. I call it the Frisbee toss when you're holding like a softball or a plyo ball in the hand and trying to feel like that's going last. And that drill alone, I mean, has been great. The kids who kind of stay closed, it just plops down to the right of them, to the ground. The kids who are flying open shoulder and hip at the same time, it's flying way to the left for a righty. But kind of that movement prep, and it's been a little bit more difficult in terms of the high school co- coaching too because, I mean, getting kids over and kind of going through, all right, listen, this is how the PVC pipe works. The next station is going to be the bend ball. The reason for this is that. So We've tried to do a better job of allocating time for different spots on the field where maybe they're hitting off plyo balls in the outfield, rounds in the cage where we're varying the BP speed and location versus PVC work on the outside. So there's a lot of movement prep. And I I mean, I wish I had it before when the guy puts the PVC pipe on their back or they're holding it like a baseball bat, they immediately are open to new feels, which is awesome. I mean, a lot of people have talked about when you have the bat in your hand, you kind of go back to what you know versus taking it away. So the different implements we've been doing, I mean, I had kind of like the beach paddle you use when you're at the beach playing like that tennis game and throwing them little wiffle balls and just feeling like their back, hip, and shoulder are hitting it. So what's pretty cool is that there's no like government organization that says, you know, these are the sanctioned drills that we can do. So it's always kind of fun to look on social media, look for the new ones, and then kind of create them on your own. But from a movement standpoint, there's so much you can do before hitting to kind of ingrain the focus of that lesson, too. Do you start out well, when you have like a lesson? Do you like how does it go? Do you do like an hour lesson or half hour? Like how do you kind of set your schedule up? So the facility I work out of. It's mostly, you know, 18U and under teams and kids can have memberships for, you know, this much a month and they can come in as much as they want. They'll have to pay a little extra for the instruction. So in that regard, it's kind of a nice blend between like the driveline model where kids can come in, just get their work in at their own time. But then I'll do, I mean, I'm kind of a free agent. I'll do kids will come up, we'll do a half hour and a half. Other kids will do 45 minutes, an hour. It's kind of anything is available for the kids. But I mean, for the most part, it's going through a lot of conversation at the beginning, especially for new kids. It's kind of making sure we're speaking the same language before moving on to anything else pre-work. And then not, it's not always going through T soft toss, throw to them hard, maybe get the machine involved. It's always going to be getting the data on them first, getting a little video saying, you know, these are the pieces that are, are glaring that we need to work at. And then kind of, if it takes the pre 
swing movements like the PVC pipe, if we need to do that for 45 minutes out of the hour, that's what we'll do. So it's kind of, you know, interchangeable. Everybody says it depends on the hitter and it truly does if you're, to me, if you're doing it the right way and trying to meet the kid where they're at. You said uh, the the data. So what do you mean by that? Just taking video or what, like, what do you use? So we're super fortunate to have hit tracks at our facility. So, and I mean, that's the great thing about the kid coming in from another facility where they don't have any data. They don't use blast motion, which I used before I was at this facility and they'll go, yeah, you know, I've had a lot of success. I swing right down. I get a lot of backspin. I hit it really hard and I'll go, all right, man, you come on in, let's do a couple of rounds. Let's get your numbers and it will be, you know, negative launch angle. They're not hitting it hard at all. Okay. Let's just try this. You know, it's probably stupid. And then they just start, you know, raking a lot more and versus saying, Hey man, your code, terrible information, getting that defensive guard up versus saying, Hey, let's just try it. And then it's objective. It speaks for itself. And that's pretty awesome. And to have the ability for kids to be able to buy that objective data through like a blast motion or diamond kinetics, whatever it is, is unbelievable for $150. And you don't have to do the guesswork anymore of, Hey, am I getting better? Yeah. My bat speed increased three miles per hour in the past two months. You're getting better. So we're really fortunate to have that data. And then we have obviously a lot of video work too, but try not do too much with the video because I mean, it's just from the side, we're not going to go over to the screen after every single swing, because again, that's going to get the puppy eyes going. They're going to be looking at the screen every time. So kind of just look at it from an objective standpoint. Yeah. We're making progress. Do you think that, uh, that the whole the the lesson model, and that's kind of why I brought that up. You said you know the facility you're at, you know you can kind of do kind of what you want to do in terms of how long you spend with each player. It's going to be a little bit different. Do you think that the thirty minute hour lesson model is, is broken? I try the last place that I've been in other facilities. It was a half an hour. I could not do anything in a half an hour. Most of the time, we'll do. You know, it, it depends on the kid, but at least 20 minutes of kind of that prep work, talking about what they're feeling, how things are going. And if I had a half an hour, well, we have 10 minutes to go through actual swings. And then some other kids, like younger kids, an hour is perfect for them because that attention, that focus is there for four or five minutes. And some kids need a lot more. The older kids who kind of drive a little bit, they'll come for maybe two days and spend three hours and break it up like that. But I mean, for me, if I had a facility that I could have gone to whenever I wanted, because I played basketball in the winter, stuff like that, but I always wanted to hit. And I had a tee in my basement kind of just hit into a towel up on the wall to have somewhere that I could go. Maybe there's a gym attached to it would have been amazing. And having somebody and other people there who were working at the same thing, because as a baseball player, sometimes you feel a little bit isolated. Like I got to do this on my own versus kind of being able to go to a facility where everybody's working towards the same goal is huge. And I think that's kind of the new model that people are going toward and having a lot of success with. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree um, for sure. There are a lot of facilities that are doing, starting to do the membership thing and blowing up. Um, when you watch younger hitters, high school, college hitters um, that you work with in general, what would you say the most common flaws are? I would say for the younger kids, I think the mentality of just doing the put the ball in play has been a real detriment to them too. And I mean – 
you get the little league dads who just want to win and they'll say, you know, put the ball on the ground, Timmy at shortstop, he, he won't get in front of it, I'll go through. And a lot of the kids are, it's the drift forward, hands go with it and they go away from the ground. So when you're talking to them about like, hey man, you got to use the ground, that force is there for you. I want to think about going into the ground versus away from it. They're kind of like, what are you talking about? But then kind of the analogies and metaphors come into play. Like if I'm going to punch somebody, you know, and my life dependent on it, I'm not going to go up and at them. I'm going to sit back, dig my back hip in and then kind of unload from my backside. And that's kind of like, oh, okay, you know, that makes sense. Or, you know, I'm kicking a soccer ball. I'm not going to like go up away from the ground. I'm going to kind of dig that plant foot into the ground and then let my hips do the work. So figuring out ways for them to kind of have the light bulb go off because that information is something that they've never had before. And then for the older kids, I mean, I was the same way. Hey, stay tall, let your hand work, and it still permeates into what kids are doing today. So really helping them figure out, hey, you got to move in sequence. That's the biggest thing. And then helping them feel like, ooh, my hands were way out of order, that my hands were way ahead of my lower half. So helping them understand the proper way of doing it so they can self-diagnose as they go through as well. Yeah, and, and you kind of brought it up um, right where, where you said like they can they need to be able to self-diagnose because during the season, during games, like you can't, you can't coach them. You know what I mean? I think that's a, a huge issue where – you know, there's so much coaching going on, you know, lessons, this and that, that I do that every single time something goes wrong, you know, they, they're, they're turning their head over the shoulder looking for somebody. I don't know. You I got mean, it. And I mean, in the game like that, it's hard. Cause when you start to implement all this work of, you know, taking hitting in a different way, the kids want to do so well that they almost start hurting themselves because they'll come back to the dugout after every at bat kind of saying like, Hey, did my shoulder fly on this one? Hey, what did you see on that one? It's almost like, dude, you know, great hitters in the big leagues hit 300. They suck a lot. Okay. I mean, it's just part of it. Go out and compete your butt off after. And then if we see anything glaring, we'll take care of it and practice the next day. But I think that's a huge thing too versus, I mean, I know in high school, and in college, when I was going bad, it was press time. It was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in a slump. I'm going to change my stance. Just getting kids to feel okay with being terrible at sometimes is totally all right, where you're going to go back to the drawing board after every time you're going further and further away from where you want to be. Yeah, and it's so um, – the game is so mental, and I think – Sometimes uh, kids who are good um, or, you know, maybe just, you know, over above average, they'll look and say they're playing against bad competition. So they feel like they have to dominate. And I um, I did an interview with Bronson Royal a couple or not that long ago. And after the interview was over, we were talking about Matt Latos, who's playing independent baseball and his numbers at the time. I haven't checked since, but at the time he was he had like a five or six ERA. And Bronson was telling me, he's like, you know, these people don't understand like they think because Matt Latos played in the big leagues and pitched for a long time that he should just go, you know, these, this independent league, the Can-Am league, and just dominate. And he goes, that's just not how the game works. He's like, if I, when I, my prime went to a, a local college and threw, everyone would just assume that I'd strike everyone out, and that's just not the case. Like, there are guys who would get hits or everything. So the, the way the game is designed, it, it is designed so you fail, no matter how much better or worse the other, the other team or players are. Absolutely. And I mean, the more we say that, and I think people kind of take it to the extreme too, where they say, 
you know, hitters are striking out like crazy. It's because they're okay with striking out. I mean, nobody goes up to the plate and says, you know, if I strike out, that's cool. Everybody has an ego, but I think it's kind of getting to the point where I'm going to put my best swing on the ball. I'm going to help the team win because we have the data. Now, ground balls, you're not helping your team. When you hit the ball hard in the air, you help your team. So I think, guys, it's just a change in the mindset versus I can't strike out, I can't strike out, and I'm going to hit a little nubber to second base versus, you know, I'm going to put my A swing on it three times and make something happen for the team too. Yeah, and and it goes also to to pitching where where – uh, scouts aren't drafting guys who throw 87, 88 and, and get, you know, guys out, you know, they're, they're drafting guys with high velocity and it's kind of similar to hitting where, well, let's see, I could draft a guy who hit 315 and 15 bombs or a guy who hit 380, never struck out and had two home runs. You're probably going to, I mean, you know, the guy who hit, you know, 315 or 305 or whatever with 15 bombs is going to get the shot. Exactly. And the specialty pitchers coming in for one or two at-bats, I mean, that's not how it would be back in the day. I mean, guys would go nine innings, they'd throw 200 pitches. Now it's, okay, get us through five. I mean, the race starting relievers now, I mean, it's totally different. The game is changing, but at the same time, it's really cool to watch and see, you know, why are they doing that and see how the game's evolving pretty quickly. Because when I was a player, it was kind of stagnant doing the same things, going through the same routines every day, but it's changing pretty quickly. And as a coach, it's really fun to try and keep up with. Ryan, if you had one piece of advice that you could give uh, players out there, what would it be? You got to be confident in yourself and continue to ask why. I mean, it's just coaches, players, everybody are lazy. Everybody kind of wants that simple, hey, give me that drill or tell me what to do here. You got to be on it all the time and you got to be asking why and understanding your swing more than anybody else. Because when you believe in what you're doing, you're not going to worry about, you know, the haters on this chirping at you. Why are you doing this drill? It's kind of like, hey, man, that works for me. You keep doing the thing that, you know, your Uncle Charlie's been telling you to do. So having that confidence in yourself. But at the same time, you got to get the good information or else you're going to be questioning everything you do. And that's the hard part. And it takes a lot of work. You got to be reading books. You got to be online trying to get the best information and there's so much information out there that you have to sift through it and then for me when I see a drill or something I try it on my own if I get the feel I'll keep it or I'll kind of modify it so people are inherently lazy and you got to work at it and do the work on your own rather than just saying like hey so-and-so coach has so many followers they said it's a drill I'm going to buy in that's somebody else's idea that they believe in you got to make it your own awesome Ryan, appreciate the time today, man. Great stuff. Um, make sure to check him out at Ryan Fuller on Instagram. Um, really appreciate it again, man. Thanks, Patrick.